Hola amigos and welcome to the Add to Houston Amigos podcast, a podcast for young professionals in the marketing and advertising industry who are learning to navigate their early careers. We're still taking a little bit of time off during the summer, but we'll be back with season two in two weeks. We'll kick off the season talking to Candy Pittman, Digital Marketing Manager for Houston Grand Opera, and she tells us all about what it's like to work in that industry and also how to run a business on the side. But before we start season two, we have another Encore episode with some of our friends from our previous season. First off, let's talk to Mark Bacani, a Growth Product Manager at the Transforce Group. Mark tells us all about what a Growth Product Manager does and also how to adjust your brand voice to new and different cultures. All right, let's listen. So Shanghai, Tokyo, Japan, the U.S., and the other countries you have lived in all have different markets, different audiences, different trends, and really different everything. So can you briefly talk about some of the similarities and differences of the markets you have worked in? Yep, absolutely. So um, I've kind of worked, my, my work has been kind of straddling between tech, fashion, and marketing, and I... You know, if you're in the mainland Chinese market, so not including Hong Kong, uh, it's an entire generation of people that skipped personal computers. China grew up so quickly and so fast, most people never had personal computers. They all went straight to smartphones. So everything is there is mobile first. 90% of all web traffic is on mobile. Nobody uses a computer there. So whenever you're making or doing something, you have to think about the small screen before anything else. Don't even, honestly... If you're making a website, don't worry too much about the desktop version. Nobody will see it. And everything's e-commerce, so they love super apps there. So in China, there's really just two apps. Okay, maybe three. There's uh, Alipay, WeChat, and, well, Douyin, which is the Chinese version of TikTok. Um, yeah, a billion people. on. I think WeChat's like 1.4 billion people. And inside those apps, there's a bunch of mini apps. So if you're actually making something, so if you want to sell something on the Chinese market, you don't make a website, you make a mini app within WeChat and it lives in WeChat, which is sort of like Shopify, but on WeChat. And then that's a very high tech, like nobody in China now takes cash. It's all pay with your phone, all this kind of stuff. So it's super high tech. And then I went to Hong Kong and it's the complete opposite. So there only 7% of retail is online. Like people love just physically walking into a store and buying stuff. So like I had problems when I was doing marketing in Hong Kong where I was thinking, okay, let's do digital ads. Let's do social ads. Kind of like the normal stuff that you learn as a digital marketer. It wasn't working. We had to do physical on in-person marketing, like uh, pop-up shops. And that's the only thing that got somewhere. And then of course, like in the U S it's, it's someone in between. Like it is, it is pretty high tech. People are on their phones a lot, but people also shop on their computers. So it's kind of like between Hong Kong and China, the U.S. is somewhere in the middle on that. So I think the lesson there is just really pay attention to the channels that your audience is on. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I know which of your clients you had to do puppets for. <laughs> we'll be mentioning them in this podcast. So. At the top of the of, of the podcast, I mentioned that you were a growth product manager, right? So, can you talk a little bit a little bit about what that role entails and how it interacts with other teams? So, product management is kind of a it's a little bit of everything role because, like, there's different ways to get in product management. 
my path was, as you know, from marketing background. I studied marketing in business school. Uh, but some people come from a tech background. Um, and some people, you know, might come from a project management background. But product is more about it's a bit of everything because you have to know marketing. You have to know, you have to know a little bit of tech and you have to know the business. So it, it, it is, you interact with all, like on my current team, I actually report to the CMO. So the C, so there is a little bit of a more of a marketing side of things, but I have to work with the development team to make things happen because we're education. So I have to work with the people making the course. So it is kind of like, since it is cross-functional, I pretty much talk to people from almost every team every day as in like i have to like coordinate it and make it kind of a holistic product that we're delivering to our to our user it's it's yeah you're taking bits and pieces from every team so we talked a bit about product management but there's another role that is kind of similar card product marketing can you show what makes these roles similar and and unique but also different i, I would say in any of this the, the lines are a little bit blurry Product in its purest form is about what happens after you sign up for a product or you buy a product. It's, it's your, uh, I don't know, like let's say you're signed up for Facebook. It's after you, or Meta, sorry. After you sign up for Meta, <laughs> then, you know, it's what happens once you're on the platform. Whereas, you know, marketing is to get people at the top of the funnel into a certain platform. Um, but it's blurry because, you know, there's retargeting and there's other ways of getting people back into it. So they do kind of cross. Um, but I would say usually if you're talking about product marketing, it's that higher part of the funnel. So uh, when you're getting people to learn about the company, get them uh, into your company, whereas product is more about your user journey after you've already signed up or purchased the product. I know, because I've known you for so long, I know you worked on a number of um, startups, right, in Hong Kong and China, but you've always worked in-house, right, for the marketing teams that are in-house for those startups. Can you talk a little bit about the pros and cons of working in-house? Well, in-house, you're, you're more unifocused. You're focused on one thing. And actually, this is different for me because, I, like you said, I came from startups. At the startup, you have usually one product, one mission, a very small team, and you're all just focused on making that thing happen. Of course, the difference of that with the agency or freelancing, because I have done some freelancing with different clients, is you're thinking about a bunch of different campaigns, a bunch of different products, and you have to like, you know, be good at a bunch of different things, which is, I think is kind of fun, because a little bit of time I spent freelancing, it was, it was entertaining, because I got to try different things, experiment. Um, so I guess in-house, there is that danger of kind of getting tired of doing one thing, but there's also like, you do get to focus more. And like, you, if you're in-house, you basically need to know the user better than they know themselves. Like you're, you're responsible for knowing what they're going to need before they ask for it. You need to know uh, what they're thinking. Like in my current company, we train truck drivers and I, I've only been there for about a month, but I've already learn half the questions that you know they're going to keep asking over again of course you're helping me with that and you know oh yeah <laughs> I, i've learned half of the questions that people are asking at your job <laughs> yeah. 
So you recently started a new job in Miami. Well, congratulations, by the way, even though it's kind of bittersweet because you decided to leave us. Also, it's Miami. So. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to be back. My whole team's remote, so I don't have to be there all the time. That's okay. When you're So when you're in Houston, let me know so I can go to Miami and stay at your place. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Mm. So, uh, can you talk a bit about how young talent can ease some of the pressure and stress that comes with job hunting? First off, it is stressful. I am not going to lie. It is. No sugarcoating you. (laughs) No (laughs) sugarcoating. It sucks. Everybody, every single person that works in a capitalist society knows the pressure of finding a job, especially if you want to do something that you really want to do. Because if you have a focus, well, it's going to be harder. But part of it is realizing that everybody's been in your shoes. The other part of it is don't take it personally because I think a lot of the jobs I applied to had anywhere from like 200 to 500 candidates posted on LinkedIn. So like a lot of times if you're applying and that's actually not how I recommend getting a job, but if you're applying online, if you get rejected 90% of the time, no human being actually looked at your resume. So, you know, if you keep getting rejected, one, no human probably actually personally rejected you. No, no one's not taking that time. So don't take it personally. Um, that's one thing. And I think is my bit of advice, like try SEOing. If is that the right way to do it? It's SEOing, SEO. SEO. I mean, if it's I not, mean, we made it a thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's trademark. By the way. <laughs> try, try to SEO your own LinkedIn profile. Your all of your because you you should have a portfolio, especially if you're anywhere related to marketing or tech, or if you're into tech, you might have a GitHub. And then, of course, you should have a LinkedIn, have a rock-solid LinkedIn profile and put in those keywords that you know that, like, look through the job descriptions that you want and make sure those keywords are on your LinkedIn because, and then tell uh, LinkedIn that you are open for jobs because that's how I found my job. That's how I found a couple of my interviews was I just made my LinkedIn as, you know, searchable as possible. And then recruiters started reaching out to me um, because that's kind of one way that you're going to get through the mess instead of just applying. So that's my you know, tips on what looking for them. All right. Welcome back. I hope you enjoy our short conversation with Mark. If you want to listen to the rest of the interview, make sure to check out episode eight of the podcast. Next time we talk to Amy Scott. Amy is a freelance photographer with the Amy Scott Photography. She tells us all about why she decided to go solo and become a freelancer, the ups and downs of doing it, and how to cultivate relationships with clients and potential clients. Let's take a listen. Freelance work and remote work have taken on a new momentum uh, with the pandemic. So what do you feel like are the pros and cons to freelance photography? And how do you feel like that's changed over the past few years? Well, there were many times over the last two years I really thought about being in-house with some friends somewhere. <laughs> I think that there's a there's a lot of benefits to having that consistency. I haven't ever done that before, so I'm curious, you know, what the the what that would look like. But freelance work is is really wonderful and it is really challenging. I have, you know, I potentially have greater creative freedom to show my work, um, to maybe influence how the the work that I do comes out. Um, and I also have a much higher earning potential being a freelancer. You know, there's only so much negotiation you can do when you're in-house for the certain type of role you have. But because I have multiple clients that I work with through the year, there's more negotiation involved in that. So that's, that is a, a huge pro of this. 
the condo is I have to hustle every single day to try and have that work line up. And the slow months can really feel brutal. I, I joke that, you know, when I became a business, my own business owner, I went from having one boss to having a hundred bosses. So that, you know, like, is it better? Is it worse? It's just very different. And so it can feel as if I'm constantly interviewing because I am. I'm constantly building these relationships and, you know, coming up with these ideas for work and seeing whether or not I'm hired for it. So you kind of have to have a thick skin. It's not really made for everybody because there is a lot of, like, there's a lot of no's that you get before you get to those yeses. Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's really insightful, honestly. Um, you know, I did freelancing for a bit during the f- uh, first year of the pandemic, uh, and it was a little rough at times because I was just trying to hustle, you know, call out my old contacts, say, hey, do you need anything? Are you looking for help? Um, but, you know, just like you say, you have a little bit more freedom, but it, it every, nothing comes, nothing's free, right? Everything comes with a cost. Uh, and I think, you know, some people are built for it, obviously, like you who who are good at it, really good at like reaching out to people. I feel a little more comfortable in-house uh, because, it, you know, I know what my next project is every time. But um, it's good to to hear that from you, because, again, a lot of people who are going to listen to this are freelancers themselves and, you know, or might be thinking about it. Right. And it's good to know what you're kind of getting into. Or also, I think, you know, just the advice of getting used to hearing no. no's yeah. like that that's applicable to all of advertising you know oh, yeah. you're going to hit a lot of no's and being persistent like that is definitely a skill that you have to have <laughs> i think having a sense of optimism like really having an inborn sense of optimism and that's something i'm constantly working on to be like you know i can either be my cheerleader or i can be the critic so you really have to, as a freelancer, <laughs> you have to be a cheerleader constantly. Like, you can do this, Amy. It's okay. Everybody said no. Just keep going. The next one's going <laughs> to say yes. And you know what? They do eventually say yes. I'm, I'm still here. It's possible. But it is, you yeah. know, you, you dictate how it's going to feel, whether that's going to be, oh, it's slugging through another day. It's terrible. We're, it's never going to get better. Or <laughs> it's right around the corner. We got this. That's a really lovely way of looking at yeah, that. Yeah, you got to like stay positive. <laughs> so, Amy, you know, you are a, a freelance photographer. Do you have any advice for any young professional who might be looking into getting into that side of the uh, industry, right? Anyone or maybe in their 20s who's like, hey, I want to be a freelance photographer. I want to have more freedom with the things that I can create. I would say, first and foremost, if somebody does not have experience Um, assisting other photographers, that is the place to start. Um, That made an enormous difference for me and completely helped that that shaped my trajectory as a freelance photographer. And it works out really well because you want to be doing your own work, but you're building your own clients. So you can be assisting freelance as well and filling in the gap from your own projects in, in the meantime. But it's, it's so essential because freelance photography is so much more than taking pictures. Like Raven said earlier, it is the business, it is the organization, it is the problem solving. And if I hadn't had the opportunities to get onto some of these sets and see how photographers who have been doing this for 15, 20, 25, 30 years before me, 
if I hadn't been able to see how they managed the crew, how they built relationships with the clients, and, and what they did when things went wrong on set, I really wouldn't have been able to walk confidently onto my own sets at this point because I can't tell you how many times I was on set for myself doing a project and I think back to a time I was assisting and, oh, how did they do this and what did we do that time? Or the client's upset right now. How do I phrase this? How do I encourage them or how do we get to the next step? So I think there's so much more than just seeing how somebody takes a picture or how they set up their light that you're getting out of those moments. And it's also in down moments, being able to ask questions. As you're forming your own business, you can say, hey, photographer, what, a, what do you think about this? Or how have you solved this problem before? So those were really like one-on-one coaching sessions for me many times, whether that was in the car driving to the place or back from the shoot or in other moments like that. So I would say ultimately what that is really saying is like mentorship, seek mentors. But by assisting, you get to learn from other people's mistakes. And that is critical. Don't, you don't have to make all of those mistakes. See how somebody else does it and say, ooh, would I do it that way? And that, that gives you a whole breadth of experience that doesn't necessarily have to be your own um, to be able to move forward and, and be really successful for yourself in the future. Yeah, that's great. That's uh, mentorship. It's such an important part of any industry, really, right? Uh, No one knows everything. I think back to my time on various sets, uh, either with Amy, I assisted her once or twice. And um, yeah, I told you we (laughs) knew each other. I know, but this is for for the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, on just like throughout my time in college and um, so much of that was learning how not to do things. <laughs> um, not necessarily on your set, but definitely a lot in college of like, you, you learn best through mistakes and yeah. by making a mistake with somebody else, you know, you kind of, uh, a lot of times you'll learn to make a mistake once because <laughs> there's some mistakes like you'll never make that again. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> definitely melted a couple of gels. <laughs> I have no idea what that means, but it sounds funny. <laughs> I'm sure you're familiar with the old adage, you know, a picture worth a thousand words. So when you're getting ready for a shoot, uh, how do you shoot, uh, set up uh, shots to, you know, tell the story that you want? For me, pre-planning is the essential part of, of getting any shot and making sure that it's successful. And so that is pre-planning and creative calls with a client that's treatments that are developed for clients and agencies, it's mood boards, it's clearly defined shot lists, it is, you know, a pre-light or tech day. It's all these steps before you're actually taking the image that help define exactly what that story is supposed to be, because it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily matter what I think the story is if I'm not doing this for myself. So that's why so much of that is communication steps, because I need to have an exact idea, exact examples, um, and a lot of sort of words to create the foundation of what, what it is we're trying to accomplish with any particular image. And that, that goes such a long way to step onto set and have a crystal clear vision for every single image, be able to get there and get that shot. 
And then from there we can play, you know, then maybe there's a little bit of time to explore a little bit more and say, hey, okay, well, that was good. What about, would this help us tell the story better if we change the angle a little bit more? Uh, Let's adjust the lighting. And then you can go into this sort of looser exploratory space because you have that, that shot that was planned. But if I go out there without a clear understanding, guess what? It's like traveling without a map. You, you don't get to where you're trying to go if you don't know what the destination is. So I find so much of the success of getting an image that you are going for of that story is having an, a really clear understanding of what you're trying to do. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Amy. I personally had a great time when we did it. If you want to hear more from that interview, make sure to check out episode six. Next up, we talked to Alex Hillu. When we first talked to Alex, he was a graphic designer at Dylan Moore Marketing and Design. Since then, Alex has moved on to a new position as a junior graphic designer with Survita, a position which he heard about through a fellow R2 Houston member. So all I'm saying is making connections. But let's listen. So we're going to change topics a bit to AF U of H and your involvement. As a former U of H AF alumni, I'm extremely happy to have you in the studio and learning more about your journey and seeing the club really thrive on your leadership from what it has in the past. Can you talk a bit about how you first got involved with AAF U of H and your journey to become president? For sure. So I guess going through how I first got introduced to AAF was really through Mad Men. (laughs) <laughs> so we talked about this yeah actually here's how i found out about it so don draper was chilling in his office after winning an award and he had his certificate like in a couple of episodes later he had the certificate in his office and i just paused the scene because i was really curious to see what it what it said and it's a don draper american advertising award american advertising federation and i just was sitting there doing some sketches for a class project at the time and i was just thinking to myself oh wow wouldn't it be great if an actual organization like that actually existed. <laughs> so, it would be. <laughs> so me being the curious guy I am, I went on Google and lo and behold, AF actually existed. And I was really excited about that, but I didn't know how to get involved because I was still at, at the University of Houston downtown. They didn't really have a chapter like yeah. that. They only have yeah. AMA and AMA is very analytics driven and yeah. super marketing savvy. But again, I'm more of a creative. But yeah. back to the story at hand, Um, I found out about AF U of H when I was transferring over to the University of Houston. I got involved through uh, Sang Lee, who was the former social media officer. Actually, the first time. Yeah, he was a really great guy. And, well, I said, he's a really great guy. (laughs) He's still gone. Yeah. He doesn't live in Houston anymore. Yeah, he lives in San Antonio now. And, uh, but actually, he encouraged me to go be more involved with AF after our info night, that was actually the first time where I met both you oh. and Rosa. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, that was back oh. in 2019. I remember that. That was the first time you... Yeah, wow. that was the first time I met you guys. Full circle moment. Mm-hmm. And then it was... Uh, a magical moment. Yeah, it was a rainy night <laughs> with pizza. <laughs> Definitely not the best. I remember the pizza. Yeah. And then I'm trying to think. So Sang really wanted me to get involved. And eventually he recommended me to apply for a creative officer role and there was me 
my friend Wo, who was the president before me, and Matthew. And we all kind of started spearheading the whole creative officer role. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, I'm certain that there were creative officers in the past, but not a lot of them stuck around like I had. Yeah. And, you know, we created assets for different posts and events. Eventually, uh, when the semester ended, that was probably the spring of 2019. Mm-hmm. That's actually, actually, no. Yeah, spring of 2019. That's when I believe I submitted some pieces for the American Advertising Awards, I believe. I'm not too sure. No, no, no. Sorry. I'm, I'll take back that story. <laughs> Sorry if I'm getting a little bit sidetracked. It's just hard to kind of get everything straight. But yeah. Matthew, Will, and I, we were starting the whole process yeah. of basically creating all the posts and all the graphics. Eventually, when the summer came in, we transitioned. I became the creative, the chief creative officer. We brought in two new, two new officers. Will, uh, Matthew graduated. Will became the president. Yeah. And basically, Will told me, I trust you. Do whatever you can that works well with this org and at the time we were really stuck on the idea of rebranding for space city because on campus you know a lot of student orgs really put an emphasis on their personal brand and how they stand out from the competition so we really wanted to have like this professional look but also be fun and playful and charming for university students and you know we needed to improve our branding our website our social media. We also had to had a store built. <laughs> so we did all of that. And that sounds like so much. Yeah. it was a lot, but it was fun. We did that only in one summer, which was probably the best summer that was during the pandemic, but we had lots of free time. So a great summer, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then from there, we, I really put an effort in setting up the store. My friend Yen, she, Yen Lee, mm-hmm, Yen Lee started basically built the website. We provided also her with the graphics. Yep, also a member of AF Houston. Of Ad2 as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Erica, who at the time she was really starting out, yeah. she didn't really have much design experiences using softwares like Photoshop, Illustrator. We, Yen and I basically brought her up to a bit. Sure. And then with her like extensive efforts, she became really well. And now she's basically taking my role. Cool. Mm-hmm. And now I'm the president. Um, basically my role right now is to foster a community that builds upon the idea of connections and relations. Basically to another point, we want to be a place where people can find, can make the connections for people they'll need for tomorrow. Yeah. To emphasis on the idea of future city or space city or something like that. I like it. It's a, it's a fantastic, um, creative that you guys come out with oh it definitely is i think it's been one of the best that's been produced by u of h in a while yeah. thank oh. you yeah actually a lot of the she stuff we... know she's been involved. <laughs> <laughs> it was really crazy how um a lot of the stuff that me and my team had done in the past we submitted them for the addies back in for the, the recent addies in 2021 those yeah, right. those three or we submitted for three different categories i believe for social media website and Actually, I think it was just those two. Yeah, social media and the website. Yeah, we won a gold for the website and a silver for social media. (laughs) And we had like, it was pretty funny because one of the posts that we submitted was like our website announcement post. Yeah. um, An event post with a speaker. And I believe our merchandise post where we were launching our store and stuff like that and making that announcement. 
we need to make a story. Um, <laughs> this has been no, that, that that was great. Um, I, I really love what you guys did. I'm glad that you got involved, and then we got to. I forgot that we met at that info night, and yeah. I know I met you again when you went to tune in. You work for the first Addies, mm-hmm. uh, and you know we've been in contact since. And yeah, back in 20, 2019. That's the story I was remembering yeah, I, and yeah. somehow <laughs> linking it to that. But yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and it's it's been great. So now, see, when I went to school, I didn't have a lot of time for um, clubs. Or I, I thought I didn't have enough time, and I kind of neglected them. I didn't join AAF University of Houston until I was a senior, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like that was that was. Uh, that wasn't good. That 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 hurt me later on. Yeah. So, um, you know, so what are some so based on that, what are some advantages that being part of this club actually gives the members, right, the students? Uh, again, I I've, personally think that there's a lot, but in your opinion and what you've seen yeah. and what you've lived, absolutely. And I can't agree with you more about how there's a lot to really go over, but I'll keep it short. Yeah. So, I think one of the big selling points that I really like about the American Advertising Federation is the community. Everybody's super supportive. They're there for you. You can really rely on your extensive network to really find somebody that fits with the project that you have in mind or at least support you in any means. There are a lot of great opportunities for basically for students in particular, scholarships, uh, internship programs, a lot of big connections that you can make here in Houston that are involved in really big projects that could possibly help you improve your own personal portfolio. I believe personally, um, I've been approached for many projects, but not having the time to do them. (laughs) But a lot of the times there, there's that, that people can really find if they're involved with AAF Houston or AAF U of H or at two and whichever, (laughs) actually another, (laughs) sorry, but I think another one is also really important is the American advertising, sorry, the American educational foundation, I believe. American education foundation. Yeah, that's right. Houston. Yeah. So they also do a scholarship as well, Mm -hmm. which I believe they hand out to aspiring advertising professionals in university. I think the scholarship kind of covers the semester. Um, it's a five thousand dollars scholarship. $5, yeah, five thousand uh, dollars scholarship. Atu has Atu Houston has a scholarship with them as well. Yeah. yeah, I think also does AF Houston have a scholarship? I'm not. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So hey, there's a lot of opportunities for scholarships there. Thank you for listening to our conversation with Alex. If you want to listen to the entire interview, make sure you check out episode four. It was a lot of fun, and Alex had a lot of great insights. All right, so thank you for listening to this Encore episode. We're so happy that you were able to join us, and we're so happy that we could share these conversations again. We talked to Mark Bacani, Growth Product Manager at the Transfer Group. We also talked to Amy Scott, a freelance photographer with Amy Scott Photography. And last but not least, we also talked to Alex Hulu, Junior Graphic Designer with Survita. Don't forget, we're launching season two of the podcast on August 23rd. That is two weeks from now, where we'll talk to Candy Pittman, the digital marketing manager at the Houston Grand Opera. Thank you for following us. We can't wait to show you what's coming up in season two. Before you go, make sure to check out AF Houston's August Luncheon, where Plot Twist creative director Chris Smith will share the story of his agency's formation and the art of compelling storytelling in 30 seconds. It takes place on Wednesday, August 17th at 11.30 a.m. at the Ballroom at Tanglewood. Can't wait to see you there. Thank you for joining us today. 
The Add to Houston Amigos podcast is produced at Radio Lounge. Add to Houston is a collaborative collective of young communication professionals aged 32 and under who are looking to make a difference in the industry. If you would like to become an amigo, join us at addthenumber2houston.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at addthenumber2houston. Thank you for listening.